This is One-on-One's NFL Friday, bringing your weekly Jets, Giants, and NFL talk from WFUV Sports. With top guests, weekly fantasy advice, and opinionated analysis, this is One-on-One's NFL Friday. And welcome to this January 23rd edition of NFL Friday. I'm Kelly Coltis. He's Anthony Pusick. And I was asking Anthony just a minute or so ago before we started the show, what do we call this edition of NFL Friday? Because we had our conference championships edition last week when we re- we uh, previewed the conference championships and we recapped the divisional games. This week we're recapping the conference championships Kind of previewing the Super Bowl, but we've still got a little more than a week to go until we, that one. We could spend an hour on the Pro Bowl. Oh, that would be so much I fun. Mean I think that, we should break down the Pro Bowl, see I who got in, yeah. who didn't. What were the Pro Bowl snubs? I think everyone would love to hear about that one. Because it matters so much in the grand scheme of things, because they put it uh, the week before the Super Bowl such that some of the best players in the league, hence why the, their teams are in the Super Bowl, can't actually play. Yeah, we should probably spend an hour on that. Before we spend an hour on anything else, because there wasn't really anything else that happened since the conference championships that really has caught major news or had 30-minute press conferences, right? Hmm, I wonder what that might be. Uh, Something to do with Massachusetts, the New England area. I think there's something going on up there up north of us here. Did it involve cameras? Oh, no, wait, that was another thing. Um, Yes, that was another gate. They have the little gate terms just keep growing and growing out of New England around here. I can't imagine what you could be referring to. Perhaps deflate gate, which I know our producer Sean Hayner really wanted me to spend about 30 minutes of this show on. I I mean, everybody else has done it, so I think it would only be fair if we talked about it, too. Um... I mean, it's interesting. I think what I'm most disappointed in is not the story, because obviously it's a story, but how much this has taken away from almost everything about the Super Bowl. And I know we have a lot more time, and there's another week leading up to the Super Bowl, but all we are talking about is whether or not the footballs that were used in the AFC Championship game were deflated, whether the Ravens tipped off the Colts about whether the— There are so many different stories behind this, and then other quarterbacks from, from previous years coming out and saying, well, everybody does it. Well— no, well, news to us. I don't think anybody really knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's interesting how it comes out, and it's interesting how it always comes around the Patriots. This is exactly what I was having this conversation with my roommates last night, and they were asking me because they don't know a whole lot about football. So we were just kind of going over some things, and they were like, Kelly, what's going on with this thing with the Patriots? Like, is it a big deal? Is it not? And I wanted to say, you know, in the grand scheme of things at this game, no, it's not. Whether the balls were deflated or properly inflated, the Patriots destroyed the Colts, and I think they would have no matter what. However, it just seems like you said, there's always something with the Patriots. It's never, great, the Patriots are going to the Super Bowl, period. It's always, the Patriots are going to the Super Bowl, and X, Y, and Z happened as well. It's interesting, and I think that one thing that I found to be fascinating was the sports science that we were watching um, last night. I, I had a chance to see what exactly a deflated football actually does, and it actually lowers the velocity of the football. It actually makes it easier for the defender to get to a football if he's late to it, but I don't think that that's what the problem is here. I think that the problem is where what lies with what Tom Brady likes and what Andrew Luck likes. Because supposedly Tom Brady likes a ball that he can grip a lot harder and actually dig him dig his fingers into mm-hmm. in order to get even a better grip. It may not be easier to throw overall from a standard quarterback's perspective, but if somebody likes the way the ball is that way, it's going to be a lot easier for that person to throw. Whereas Andrew Luck likes a more full ball, pretty much the NFL standard. Of the football, which I think, you know, every quarterback should probably get used be, to using get be used to using and get accustomed to. So I think that the issue isn't, oh well, it really wasn't that much of a difference. It actually hindered the Patriots. I disagree. I think if Brady likes the ball less than twelve point five, mm. then 
then that's obviously something that's going to be of of value to him. And if it's less, and it's more than two twelve point five or at twelve point five for Andrew Luck, who likes it that way, he's going to be put at a disadvantage again. Legarrette like Blunt ran for three touchdowns. That had nothing to do with Tom Brady. Yeah. It doesn't matter if he was like I believe it was Brandon Browner said. Doesn't matter if he was carrying a beach ball. At that point, he would have yeah. still had three touchdowns, and that would have been enough to put the Patriots over the top. But I, I agree with you, Kelly. Why every time something happens with the Patriots, it always seems to be a controversy, and it always seems to be this thing around important games and important areas of the season where it ends up being this way. Absolutely, too. And you mentioned the coverage of this as well. Just before we Ugh. move on here, could you imagine if this was a close game? Like if it was like 45-42 with the coverage would be? It was 45-7, to and this is still on network news channels, not even counting ESPN or CBS Sports or NBC Sports. This is on regular old network news channels. God forbid this was a close game. We'd never hear the end of it. I think that the Patriots were just jealous because the first two weeks of the playoffs, it was, should the Detroit Lions have gotten a penalty on that? Should they have won the game against the Dallas they Cowboys? They their own controversy. And then it was Des Bryant. Was it a catch? And you never thought you'd hear the end of that one. Well, don't worry. Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and the New England Patriots have you covered. They got to be the center of attention. In a game with Richard Sherman, the center of attention is the New England Patriots. And I think that even Richard Sherman is surprised that this is something <laughs> that happens because he has come out and said, Brady isn't the angel everybody thinks he is. And I think that com- that comment was buried under the 12 other stories about Deflategate. How many balls were deflated? Which ones were deflated? The person, Dequell Jackson, who said that he felt a difference in the ball. Now there's rumors saying he didn't even say anything about it. There's so many different stories to this, and Roger Goodell has to be sitting in his office going, can I catch a break this year? No. Nope. Is there anything <laughs> Roger, that I can nope, do? Roger, nope, you cannot. And, and here's the other thing. So what? Not even not, not in the perspective of this is obviously something that you shouldn't do, but what can the NFL do about this? Are they taking away draft picks? Like If they find out the Patriots were, I guess, guilty is the word to use here, of deflating the footballs, is it taking away draft picks from them? I don't know what the repercussions are because obviously, you know, they're not kicking them out of the Super Bowl. Yeah. If they win this year, it's not going to be, oh, we're going to put a little asterisk next to the 2015 Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. That's not going to happen. I think that it shouldn't have any repercussions evident in the Super Bowl. I think we should just get on with the game. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned there's a lot of other stories that are getting buried. You know, for example, Seattle's appeared in the Super Bowl now for the second year in a row. We, no one has mentioned that this week, to my knowledge. Because it doesn't matter. Apparently it doesn't matter, and I mean, the way in which they got to the Super Bowl, everyone's saying that this was one of the greatest comebacks in history, and also one of the greatest collapses. In my opinion, you can't have both. You can't have a great comeback and a great collapse. Because yes, there is a possibility where a team can come back, but the team that's against them is actually playing very, very well. Exactly. But they still manage to come back. The a little bit, or something happens along those lines. There is no... Par- like parabola that this went on. It was the pa- the Packers were controlling this game, and the Seahawks weren't. And then the Packers completely collapsed, and the Seahawks took full advantage of it. And I think it was more the Packers lost this football game than the Seahawks won this football game. And it's all on that onside kick. Oh, that absolutely. that alone shows the Packers lost this football game. I think that it shows that too, and I think it also shows just the inefficiency of the Packers' offense to find the ends on this last week. I mean, you look at it; they were in very good range I guess to score a touchdown if you look at their first quarter they had three drives three scoring drives the last one finally resulted in a touchdown but Mason Crosby had to kick an 18 and a 19 yard field goal they were knocking on the door of the end zone and they just could not get it in and once again we talk about buried stories those two stories were buried when the Packers basically took over for the first half and it was like it doesn't matter because the Seahawks didn't capitalize and the Packers took advantage well looking back on it now they really could have used seven points maybe not even in one in both of those drives just one. in one of those drives 
and they would have been fine. And let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. He couldn't even walk. He was running uh, to get that field goal to bring it into overtime alone. He was hobbling and gimping his way to get a first down in one of the most important drives of the season. You got to give a lot of credit to Aaron Rodgers, clearly not at 100% there, and still managed to put his Packers in a position to win this football game. And when you took a look at that onside kick, even though the Packers came back, you had to say this game is going to Seattle. It just seemed that way, and people were riding around on bikes, and they just took them from Seattle. It didn't matter because they were Super Bowl champions last year. They could do what they want. Richard Sherman's never going to hear the end of this. And then you have to bring up, of course, one of my favorite stories that no one else really likes, everyone thinks is a myth, the Madden curse. Because Richard Sherman was on the cover this year, and nothing really happened to him. And isn't it ironic that now is the time where Richard Sherman might not be able to move his arm? Yes, exactly. I was just going to say, I was like, yeah, you know, nothing's happened to him except for now when he sprained his elbow, which I think that it just shows. I honestly think both of these teams were limping towards the finish line in this game and that Seattle just limped a little bit harder towards the end because you look at so many key guys. I mean, they had two guys in their secondary go down with injuries for Seattle. They still played. They played through them. You see Aaron Rodgers, a one-legged quarterback, playing for the Green Bay Packers. It was kind of who's going to hobble faster, who's going to hobble quicker, and I think that Seattle obviously, I don't think, I know that Seattle obviously did in the end. And I think that's the interesting thing too, Kelly, because you have to look at it this way. You visibly saw, the viewer visibly saw Richard Sherman could not move his arm. Why is no one trying to burn Richard Sherman deep at the end of that game? And I know that you can't take that big risk because what if you don't make it? You have to take that risk. Look what could have happened. Richard Sherman couldn't even lift his arm. Do you honestly think he would have been able to make an over-the-shoulder swat of an interception? Even if he gets the ball, it's a swat. He, there's no way he can that catch he it. picks it up with one hand and corrals it. And if he does, you're never going to hear the end of it for Richard Sherman, that's for sure. But how do you not go deep on him once? In that position, and I know it's oh well, you're going after, you're, you're taking advantage of a situation. Well, yeah, <laughs> he doesn't want to come out of the game. Aaron Rodgers didn't want to come out of the game. He couldn't walk. Why aren't the Seahawks blitzing more? Why aren't why didn't Aaron Rodgers go deep to Jordy Nelson or Randall Cobb, whoever Richard Sherman was covering? Earl Thomas is out, one of the best safeties in the game, and obviously got to play a little conservative. But when you're down in that, that five minute mark, forget the time when they had to kick the field goal. Mm-hmm. You don't burn Richard Sherman deep once, or at least try to. Yeah, exactly. there's one thing about Sherman; he's not the quickest. Uh, corner corner in the game. Exactly. Patrick said, Peterson is. You send Randall Cobb past him deep, I think you might be able to get something. Even if for Rodgers not being able to, you know, maybe have full use of his legs, he could still chuck out a couple of yards, and if you beat Sherman, if you have to stop and catch it, you can still make the play, because again, he's got one arm to tackle you. He's not going to be able to wrap you up. And mm-hmm. and the thing, one thing about Randall Cobb is he's hard to wrap up, and Jordy Nelson's very fast. Exactly. So either one of them could have done this, and I just don't see where in the in the mind of of Green Bay that this was a good idea. And this is kind of Mike McCarthy being very conservative, and you saw with those two field goals. One thing that interested me about Oregon when they played Florida State um, in the Rose Bowl was Mm -hmm. when Oregon got down to the two- or three-yard line, they were on fourth and goal. They still went for the touchdown. Why? And it wasn't because they were afraid they weren't going to score. They knew that. But they needed every point they could possibly get. Mm-hmm. And and that was what was important. They said, we don't care that f- about Florida State. We want to win this game. And that's what you have to do. You can't go into a game going, oh, wow, we got down to the two-yard line. Let's get yeah. a field goal now and just pat ourselves on the back. Clearly that didn't work. Absolutely not. And I think just some fun numbers to throw out from this Green Bay-Seattle game. We had five turnovers from Seattle, five of them. They lost the time of possession. Russell Wilson had a QBR of 13.6. I don't know if it's a testament to how he was able to overcome that to win this football game, how they won despite of him and despite all the turnovers. But can you imagine if you're like Green Bay and you're looking back on this and you were like, wow, we were 
three, three were three for 14 on third down. We outpossessed them. We won the turnover battle, and we lost by a heck of a lot. That's probably one of Russell Wilson's worst games of his career, if not his collegiate and professional career, probably his worst game. You honestly think that he's going to go into Arizona now with that mentality? You're wrong. I mean, there's one thing about Russell Wilson. It doesn't seem like a lot of things phase him. Even in that game, and as bad as he had had in that game, uh, as bad a game as he had, I should say, you still looked at him and said, Oh, wow. He's still going to drive this team down the field. I still have confidence that Russell Wilson can do this. Four interceptions, Kelly. All to Curse. And then Curse ended up scoring the game-winning touchdown. This team doesn't this team doesn't shy away from anybody for sure. They don't they look they look adversity in the face and say we're going to beat this team. Mm-hmm. And they weren't afraid of Aaron Rodgers and they weren't afraid of anybody else this year. And even when all all the haters said there was no chance they were going to get one through Seattle, we kind of knew when it was coming. You kind of didn't even have to look at the rest of the bracket. You knew Seattle's going to go to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. if they have to go through their home field. And look what happened. That's exactly what happened. And maybe it wasn't the 12th man that was the big factor, but they do play well at home. They absolutely do play well at home. And I think that it's, as you mentioned, I think Aaron Rodgers' injury obviously is a huge factor in this game. The fact that he was playing on one leg, it very much limited his ability as a scrambling mobile quarterback, and it very, I think it hindered the offense. I think that that's part of the reason why Mike McCarthy was reluctant to maybe go for it on fourth down some of those close plays because his quarterback can't scramble for the touchdown or he can't roll out and find someone in the back of the end zone, obviously. Very limited in the pocket, and I almost feel bad for him because I thought the Packers really had the best shot with a healthy Aaron Rodgers of going up against Tom Brady because, let's put it this way, if Russell Wilson has half the turnovers he had, so that's two turnovers against the Patriots, I think they're losing that football game. I think that they do too because I think that, first of all, Tom Brady hasn't been injured this year. That's, that's one thing. Aaron Rodgers had a couple of tweaks in certain different places, which is which has hindered him. I just think overall when the Patriots hit that big stage and the team isn't blue and from New York, they do a really good job of winning <laughs> Super Bowls. And I think that the, the way that you rattle a Tom Brady is the way that a, a Seahawks team can do it, which is why I think this is going to be interesting, and I hate that deflate gate and all these other things are going to factor into it, because this could be a really, really good game. It's one of the best secondaries in football versus one of the best quarterbacks in football. It's a good defensive front against a quarterback who, when he does get rattled, does have the tendency to make a little bit more mistakes than usual. And it's a decent running game against a decent running game, because Marshawn Lynch is the Seahawks running game. But then... You have LeGarrette Blunt who has his moments, and then you have Shane Vereen who comes out of the backfield and makes plays for this for this New England team. Mm-hmm. And you take a look at it, and this is a really good matchup. And it's a one versus one. No one's talking about the fact this is a one versus one. Versus one. This is exactly what everybody wants when they get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, maybe everyone wants to see the six versus the four because it's oh look at all this these upsets and they came back from adversity and like if the Ravens made it or something mm-hmm. like that. But everyone wants to see the two best teams, and I feel like these were the two best teams this year. Unfortunately, I guess, well, fortunately, I guess for the Patriots, unfortunately for Seattle, I think they're the more banged-up team going into this game, and I think that's going to be a little bit of hindersome. I Obviously, by the time we have NFL Friday next week, we'll know way more about the injury situation of Richard Sherman and everybody else in the Seahawks, but some of them just didn't look themselves. You know, even Russell Wilson, too. I mean, people were asking, was he hurt? Is that why he was throwing four interceptions? You look, too, he only ran for 25 yards. Russell Wilson's had days against your big blue, as you mentioned before, (laughs) where he's run for over 100, and Marshawn Lynch has as well, and they did not, he did not run at all against Green Bay, and if he doesn't against New England, I think that's also going to be a problem. And that's why I'm glad Steve Spagnola is back as the (laughs) defensive coordinator of the New York Giants, but I'm sure that we'll touch on that a little bit later. I think that 
there is a possibility that the Seahawks team is more banged up, much like anybody. I think mm. that there will be a You know what happens after after any big event. Stanley Cup, even. You hear, oh, well, I had a broken arm, and I played through about two or three even games. Even Peyton Manning is coming out, you know, saying that he played with his <laughs> torn-up quad, and everyone's like, where did this come from? Yeah, well, and, and I don't know whether that's going to be a factor coming into the Super Bowl, but I don't want to think that, oh, the reason one team lost is because they were hurt or something like that. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're healthy enough to play, I think what's the most dangerous is Earl Thomas and not Richard Sherman being hurt because even in last year's Super Bowl, Richard Sherman obviously had a good playoff and a good Super Bowl. I think Earl Thomas and that safety core with Cam Chancellor is the reason that that Seahawks secondary is so good because those two guys, Legion of Boom, they hit hard, and you don't want to come across the middle against guys like that, and their middle linebackers are good too. If you're missing Earl Thomas, you're missing a huge part of that secondary. And even with Richard Sherman, maybe at 85%, maybe he can't lunge over and, and swap balls, but he can still get both of his hands up. Mm-hmm. That's still a disadvantage. Now you have a less than healthy Richard Sherman. Earl Thomas, who I think is the core of that secondary. Sorry, Richard Sherman. But I think he's the core of that secondary. You have to take a look at it and say, Tom Brady's going to pick this apart. If he sees, uh, and, and much like we talk about Peyton Manning being smart, Tom Brady's a very smart quarterback. Oh, absolutely. And he will pick apart an injury like there's no tomorrow or or, or any type of weakness in, an, in a defense. And you have to think that the Patriots' defense is going to hold their own against the Seattle offense. I mean, the Patriots' defense isn't awful. Darrell Revis, who's the number one wide receiver on the Seattle Seahawks that Darrell Revis has to cover? Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin. Okay. <laughs> this is, this is going to be... What, what you'd think would be a cakewalk for Darrell Rebus. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's had to face much tougher competition in the last couple of weeks as far as number one wide receivers, and he's done a great job. So when, you come, when it comes right down to it, the fact that the Seahawks don't have a number one receiver, the fact that the Seattle defense could be a little more banged up than we're giving it credit for, and the fact that Seattle limped their way into this game— mm-hmm. With the Blake Gate and all, the Patriots look like they're riding cloud nine right now. Absolutely, and I think that you mentioned Earl Thomas being a key to the Seattle secondary. I almost want to say the most important guy for this week is Cam Chancellor, just because of the fact that him and Earl Thomas have to claim some responsibility for limiting Rob Gronkowski, because obviously that is Tom Brady's number one target, even though he didn't have his best numbers against the Colts because LeGarrette Blunt kind of took over the game for them and they didn't really need him to be the big X factor. I think he might have to step up this week again, which he's very much used to doing, and be the guy Tom Brady looks for. And if the secondary is not healthy, and the safeties especially, that's a very easy day for Tom and Rob. I think that becomes the middle linebacking core that I talked about in the beginning with Seattle that's going to have to step up and going to have to kind of limit Rob Gronkowski so he doesn't break all the way downfield against a weaker secondary. And I think that the Seahawks, if Pete Carroll's smart, he's going to be watching that tape of that of that Green Bay game, maybe to see how inflated the, the footballs were, but also <laughs> to see, just to take a look at, all right, how are we going to stop Rob Gronkowski? If we're going to take a look at the game of the Colts, what did they do to limit Rob Gronkowski? And maybe they didn't limit the run game, but let's let's say that Seattle's confident enough that, okay, we can limit the run game. How do we stop Rob Gronkowski? And if they can mirror that in some way or try and put something together, that's one thing that you, that you could take out of that game and, and can give an advantage to your team if you're struggling. Because one thing that you have to do with injuries is you have to try and work your way around them, mm-hmm. which means a lot's going to go to your middle linebackers if your safety core is hurt. So that's going to be an interesting X factor. And again, we we aren't even, me and you are probably the first people to be talking about things like this. Because Because everybody else is on Deflategate. Everybody is is just talking about the New England Patriots, and it's not, can Tom Brady finally win another Super Bowl? Is he the best quarterback of all time? None of this is being talked about. All that's being talked about is whether or not and what the Patriots are going to get as as a result of this Deflategate. And Quite frankly, if it's a fine and a loss of a first-round pick, it's probably going to be a lot. 
mm-hmm. because they're not going to suspend Tom Brady from the Super Bowl. Sorry, Seattle fans. Sorry, all football fans who think that's a possibility. No, it's not happening. They're not going to do that. They're not going to sideline Belichick from the Super Bowl and leave him up in the box. It's not going to happen, and it probably shouldn't happen. But you have to take a look at it and say, oh, wow, we really screwed up a lot this year. Yeah, maybe you did, Roger Goodell. Maybe you did screw up a lot this year. But solving this in the Super Bowl is probably not the way to go. You're going to upset more people than you're going to make happy. You're going to upset a lot more people than you're going to make happy. Absolutely. And I think that you mentioned a really interesting point there, Anthony. You know, Tom Brady going for another Super Bowl, he's had a tremendous year this year, too. 33 touchdowns, nine interceptions. I think that those are getting overlooked as well. The fact that he, you know, at his age, this late in his career, still looks like he can play for five more years. I mean, you think about it, him and Peyton Manning are almost the same age. And Peyton Manning, everyone's talking about the fact that is he returning next year? Is he going to, you know, if he passes a physical, he's coming back. That's great and all, but he looks like he's on the decline. Tom Brady hasn't shown those signs yet. That neck injury really obviously hurt Peyton Manning. Oh, absolutely. Manning. And Kelly, isn't this the year after week five when Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and the Packers and Patriots were done? The year after the, maybe it was even earlier than that. I think it might have been, what was it? It was the week of the last week of September when I believe it's week three or four when they lost to Kansas City on that Monday night game. And everyone's like, do you have a quarterback problem there, Bill? Is there any uh, quarterback questions you have? You know, they didn't look so good tonight. I think I think the Patriots have to thank the person who asked that question because <laughs> I think that really is what turned it around. And then Aaron Rodgers was just tired of hearing all of the flack that he was getting and, and just told everybody to relax. Mm-hmm. And then you had the number two seed and the number one seed who possibly could have been playing in the Super Bowl if the pack, if the Packers didn't monumentally collapse. And I thought that would have been one of the most interesting storylines of this year because you you wrote off two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL currently because their teams were either under 500 or at 500 in their divisions. And they ended up both of them ended up winning their divisions, and both of them had a very good chance, one of them, of being in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And one is in the Super Bowl, in Tom Brady. And, and you have to sit there and say... It, it, any given Sunday, like every, like 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 it's always that any given Sunday anybody can win, and I, I guess everyone just took this Patriots team for granted until oh wait a minute they're first in the AFC East again, which I don't think came really as that much that of a should surprise. Not be a surprise. To I think they could have they could have lost some more games and won it very easily and probably still been sitting maybe not the top spot but they would have been up there still even if they had lost one or two more games this season. I feel like even if they didn't have home field advantage, this Patriots team was probably going to go very far, if not all the way to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And they had home field advantage, which made it even easier for them. I think with the Seahawks, it's a different story. If they didn't end up going on the tear that they did, and the Cardinals, who basically talk about limping into the playoffs. Talk about collapsing, too. Collapsing and limping into the playoffs with your third-string quarterback, fourth-string quarterback, I, I don't know, anybody, really. Ryan Kurt, off the street. Kurt Warner wanted to start suiting up, and that <laughs> might have actually been a better option. He, he has some pretty good success in the playoffs. John Skelton coming back? No. No, he's not. He will never come back. But we were talking, and you have to take a look at it, and— you got to really, I guess, thank the injuries of the Arizona Cardinals because if the Seahawks ended up in that five seed and then they ended up going to a place like Dallas or they ended up going to a place— Going to Green Bay. Or going to Green Bay, is this the is this what you wanted to see? Is, is This could have changed the entire outlook of, of the playoff picture. And it, it's kind of scary to think about because then where are we now? I know the flake game might still be there, but who's in the Super Bowl? It may not be the Seahawks, especially if they got four interceptions in Lambeau. Exactly. I think it would have been a much different game as well. You know, speaking of these two teams, you know, moving on to the Super Bowl, I just find it funny, Anthony, because maybe because we're in New York and maybe this is just our New York bias. I feel like last year there was just so much buildup and hype to the Super Bowl. Of course, it ended up being one of the most disappointing Super Bowls I've watched in the last, I don't know, 21 years of my life. Very sad. But the fact is, it was so 
there was such buildup here. Everyone was talking about every minute aspect of the game, especially breaking down things that, you know, you wouldn't normally have this problem, you know, breaking down the weather and the grounds, and will they be able to move snow if there's snow? And, of course, that ended up not being a factor, and won't be a factor again this year now that we're out in Arizona, and I feel like no one seems to be talking about it. I forget that we're in Arizona sometimes because I feel like, I forget that it's in Arizona because no one's talking about where the Super Bowl is. I feel like compared to last year where it was just like two cities hosting, you know, one state can't handle it. We have the two cities hosting it, you know, because East Rutherford and New York City hosting a Super Bowl this year. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. They're playing a game next Sunday. I mean, you see like you see that every time something happens in New York, it gets very, very large attention. And for sure, with the idea of, you know what, let's build a stadium in New Jersey for our Giants and Jets Mm -hmm. and let's not put a dome on top of it. (laughs) was probably the biggest oversight in our solar system because if you really wanted the Super Bowl to come on a more consistent basis, you got lucky last year that it was 40 it was like, degrees. Yeah, exactly, 40 degrees, and sunny. people were sweating in the stands, <laughs> and Peyton Manning was sweating on the sidelines. And and that was that was an interesting thing too, Kelly, like you said, when you talk about disappointing Super Bowls. I go back to Peyton Manning's Super Bowl win. Remember that game in Florida against the Bears? It was yes, probably one of the most miserable games that I ever watched because it poured, and they said, oh, in Florida you're going to have a great Super Bowl. Unless it pours, because it kind of acts like the spring sometimes down there in February, and it was miserable, and it was muddy, and there was fumbles all over the place and interceptions, and it was just the team that screwed up least won that Super Bowl. It wasn't even the better team. Mm -hmm. Peyton Manning's team may not have even been the better team that year, and they won. But then you come out and you see Peyton Manning get the ball thrown over his head and lead to a safety, and you just sit there and you're like, oh boy. And it just spiraled out of control from there. And you talk about people that like to watch the Super Bowl for the ads— at, by the third quarter, that's probably what you were watching for. Absolutely. When's that next Doritos commercial coming on? Yeah, because there's nothing else to watch for at that point in time. And I do feel the Super Bowl will be a lot different. I do feel like it'll be a much more closer, no, closer, not much more closer. Wow. Closer game than I was expecting because just with Seattle and New England, obviously everyone's like, oh, you know, we're going to have the great defense versus the best offense in the NFL. Well, we kind of have that again this time. However, I think New England just has a much more capable defense this time around. And a rushing attack, like you mentioned, Legarrette Le- Le- Blunt had three touchdowns last week, as did Tom Brady. I think you're realizing we don't need Tom to throw six touchdowns a game for the New England Patriots to win, and I think that's also taking the pressure off of him as he gets, quote-unquote, later on in his career. And that was another thing that back in those in the early 2000s when he won those Super Bowls, he had a running game, mm-hmm. and that also helped him a lot. He also had a very good kicker. He also had Randy Moss. <laughs> and he also had Randy Moss. But those were the things that helped him along, and, you know, you can never put it on everybody. And Tom Brady could go down as one of the best, if not the best, quarterback in the NFL. He still needs help. Everybody needs help. Nobody can mm-hmm. do this on their own. That's why it's a team game. Richard Sherman can't do it on his own. Quite frankly, Russell Wilson can't do it on his oh, own either. We've seen that. So with Marshawn Lynch, I think that's a key That's a key factor. But you also, say, also have to take a look at the other side of the ball because it's no longer the Marshawn Lynch who shocked the Saints and made that incredible <laughs> Rushing touchdown, a, 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 how many playoffs ago? Wow, we're getting old. We are getting old, Anthony. <laughs> you take a look at it, and you have to say, this could be your, your last Super Bowl NFL Friday, Kelly. Just Thank you, Anthony. <laughs> I really appreciate the depressing <laughs> comments that we're just getting into right now. But we, but you have to take a look at it that way and say, wait a minute now. You got Shane Vereen, you have LeGarrette Blunt. These are formidable running backs that the Seahawks have to, actually have to take a look at. It's no longer a Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady team. You have to take a look at more than that. And I think this is the best team to match up against the Seattle Seahawks team because they're so confident and they're so cocky. And even a team like Aaron Rodgers' Green Bay Packers get rattled when things start to not go their way, even against a team like Seattle who builds off all of that momentum. But that, with the Patriots, mm-hmm. it's completely different. Because no. Tom Brady doesn't get rattled. 
At least doesn't seem that way. No, I don't think Tom Brady's ever gotten rattled in his entire career, and I think we'll get more into our picks and our insight on this game Ooh. in just a little bit. But, Anthony, you mentioned Steve Spagnuolo before coming back to the Giants as defensive coordinator. The Jets made an announcement this week as they brought in their new GM and head coach. <laughs> Great music, the J-E-T-S chant there. New era here in New York for the Jets. Todd Bowles is now the head coach. Anthony, what are your thoughts on this? I'm curious to hear yours and him and Mike McCagnan, the new GM for the Jets. I think you're struggling to smile right now. That's what I'm thinking, Kelly. I think that it, it seems like you're smiling and you're thinking, as a Jet fan, this could be a good thing, yes, we. but but there's a lot of doubt and worry in in, in every Jets fan's eyes right now. And I think Todd Bowles was a good was a good addition. I think that you know another defensive coach, but quite frankly, the thing that struggled this year, uh, yes, the offense struggled, but the defense wasn't you know what it used to be in the Rex Ryan years, and maybe a, a change in the guard definitely was certainly needed. I mean, you couldn't keep Rex Ryan anymore. Now he's in Buffalo, which is interesting. That's a whole other interesting thing, and I think. What you might have seen there, Anthony, is I'm half happy, I guess is yeah, the word for happy. it. I'm very happy with the GM selection. Okay. Let's just start there. Mike McCagnan, I think they finally brought in someone who has a background in personnel and scouting. He's not a cap guy. He does scouting. He watches players and he watches tape to see what guys can fit our system, what guys should we bring here to New York. That I like a lot. I think that's a very good hire on Woody Johnson's part. Well, when you take a look at the last sixth overall pick the Jets drafted, that was Mark Sanchez. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's definitely a certain need for scouting and evaluating talent. So I think that that's something that's definitely going to help. And I think with the changing of a coach, I think all that really did, not to say that Rex Ryan was a bad coach, whatever he was doing wasn't working anymore. So maybe Todd Bowles comes in, and even if he's still defensive-minded, he still brings an idea of an offense because it seemed like Rex just didn't care about the offense. Not to say I don't care if we score no points, but this is the offensive coordinator's job. I'm a defensive guy. Well, that's what a defensive coordinator says. This isn't what your head coach says. Todd Bowles seems like at least he's interested in trying to get an offense going on this team, and he knows that, talk, look at the Arizona Cardinals, you kind of need that if yes. you want to win games. Yeah, you absolutely do. And I think that I agree with you for the most part. I think that if I – however, my one thing is I just kind of wish the Jets would have done a complete 180 and done something different. They've had – defensive-minded head coaches for, I think, since Rich Kotite. I was looking this up before. I think he, not that he worked out well. He had the worst, absolute worst Jets teams in history. <laughs> Doug Marone, your style, uh, Kelly? No, no, no. All right. Um, Rich Kotite was the last guy that was an offensive-minded guy. And, again, that did not work out either for the Jets. But since then, I mean, with the exception of Parcells in 98 and the Jets uh, with Rex in 2009 and 2010, the defensive way hasn't exactly worked for them, and it might have been nice to just bring in someone who's maybe a quarterback guru, like an offensive coordinator, someone who has the experience on that side of the football and maybe make that the primary focus for once. While I get that Todd Bowles is very much more open, it seems like, to having you know offensive presence and having the fact that you know t- having a hand in the offense, it would have been nice to have someone have it almost like their possession, their offense, and they wanted to try to implement something like that here. I think that would have just been a very different shift for the Jets, and I think maybe a necessary one. Now, you see, you're talking about people like Mark Tressman, maybe, Gary Kubiak, John Fox. Like these are Gary Kubiak is the one out of that list that I would have been more interested in. And, and what's interesting, I think that a lot of teams are like, when the Broncos let go of John Fox and they had already named their head coach. I think yes. that John Fox, if he was in the mix, people would have been like, wait a minute. 
Yeah. All right. Sorry. Sorry, Rex. Let's let's give John Fox a chance to see what he's got to say. Mm-hmm. I think that was a whole interesting scenario in general, what happened out there in Denver. Maybe there's something John Fox knows that we don't. Maybe Peyton Manning is not coming back. Mm. Maybe as a result, Jamar- Demarius and Julius Thomas don't come back. Yeah, that's a, Denver could be an entirely different team. And next this year. Broncos team could spiral down in a in a division that's not necessarily that bad anymore. And with Derek Carr on the rise in Oakland, if they get a couple more pieces, Denver Broncos could be in the basement of that division. That's a scary thought. But back to the Jets, you need more than just a change in coach and change in GM. And I think that's that's why Kelly, if you're happy with McCagnan as the GM, mm-hmm. then I think the Jets are in good shape because that's what you need more. I sure, agree. you need a coach to I run agree. everything. But if you need, you need the players. Yes. Percy Harvin's a good addition, and you saw what he can actually do when thrown to. But do they need another quarterback? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Again. <laughs> that's just the yes. That's not even an, an answer. That's just yes. All right. Now, here we go, Kelly. It's coming down to uh, this. Do you want Marcus Mariota? Do you want Jameis Winston? Do you want, name any other quarterback that you would like out of this Jay draft? Jay Cutler? No, I'm kidding. Jay uh, Cutler? <laughs> that was kind of a joke. I mean, the running... The interesting part... Mark Sanchez? No, that was not what I was going <laughs> to say on that one. The um, interesting part, before they named Chan Gailey the uh, offensive coordinator for the Jets, there was talk of possibly Kyle Shanahan coming here. And mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting name to bring here, too, because of the fact that they also mentioned he had the connections to RG3. And I thought that would have been an interesting quarterback to trade for if I was the Jets. I would not give up a number one pick. I would not give up that, you know, let me just gift you the sixth pick in the draft. No, but if they wanted, like, a third or a conditional pick, I would have done that if I was the GM of the Jets, you know, play around with that if that was in the cards. However, drafting at number six, I honestly think both of them are going to be gone. You think both of them are going to be gone? I, I don't know. I mean, the interesting thing for me is the report that Chip Kelly wants to try and trade <laughs> Bring up Marcus, Marcus to Mariota, Philly, which is which if he pulls this off, will be one of the most incredible trades. He did just in... get all that power. He asked for the power. He got the power from the Eagles organization. What would you have to give up to get up to top five area. You'd have to be, you'd have to be five. I don't think Mariota is slipping past. Oh, I don't think he's slipping that far. If Tampa Bay doesn't take him, which I think would shock everybody, if Tampa doesn't, Winston take does him. seem to have interest in. Uh, for Tampa does seem to have interest in, in Winston, mm-hmm. which which is fine. I think either of those two, you can't really go wrong in a sense of it's going to be better than what you have, right? But you got to look at it this way. You take a look at teams like the like the Titans, Titans and like the Raiders. And these teams, okay, we have our quarterback. Yes, we have our we have our quarterback, quote unquote. De- Derek Carr wasn't bad. Zach Mettenberger wasn't bad. I don't know about that, but you, they seem to think that they have confidence in these guys. But it's not like, oh, okay, now we could trade down in the draft. No, no, no. They still need top ten picks on those teams to help them because they're not exactly the greatest teams. They, no, not they, at all. They need wide receiver help. They need offensive line help. And this is a very deep offensive line draft, which I'm very happy why the Giants are selecting tenth. They might mm-hmm. actually get a good offensive lineman. <laughs> But you honestly think that uh, an Eagles team who was pretty much just a consistent quarterback away from running away with the NFC East goes, yeah, we'll trade you our first-round pick and Nick Foles for your fourth overall pick. No, that's not going to happen. You're going to have to give up. You might have to give up LaShawn McCoy. <laughs> you have to give up Avant or somebody. You might have to give up a good portion of your draft. Like I'm thinking back to when the Jets traded down for Mark Sanchez, and not that I'm comparing Mark Sanchez to any of these quarterbacks. I meant just comparing down to the actual physical trading to the sixth spot. They gave up a first-rounder, a third-rounder, a seventh-rounder, and about three or four players to Cleveland for that pick that they had to trade for. That was a lot. And that was Mark Sanchez. He's not coming out as as, as Marcus Mariota. No, exactly. As a Heisman winner. Exactly. What do you have to give up then? And again— Both the, Heisman winners. Both, <laughs> and the, the Cleveland Browns, very different. 
and and obviously that 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 team is in a transitional period now where they're no longer a, a laughing stock. Mm. They they've made more more intelligent decisions in in recent memory. Yes, they have. But what would a team have to do? What would what would Chip Kelly have to give a team in order to maybe even players? I would say 100% one and two. Number Your first round, your second round, probably a late rounder, and then I'd say one or two players. They got Darren Sproles for a late rounder. What goes on in Philly where they're like, you want you want to give us Darren Sproles for a late rounder? <laughs> we have LaShawn McCoy, but we really could use a third down back. Can you give us a- <laughs> How did that happen? I still don't know how that happened How did other, te- other teams were probably sitting there when that happened? I like- wanted the Jets to get Sproles. I don't know how they didn't trade for him with that one. They're looking like, are we not seeing this? How did they just manage to do that? We could have given up a second rounder for Darren Sproles, yeah, or exactly. we would have given up a player for Darren Sproles. So... That's He's actually an interesting name to throw around, too, if you're looking at a team like Tennessee who holds, I believe it's the second for Tennessee. If you give them, say if Philly gives them their one, their two, maybe a sixth rounder, Darren Sproles and maybe a defensive player, I don't know who else you're going to throw in there. That's a package I could see Tennessee taking. Bishop Sankey is a name nobody in fantasy wants to hear this year anymore because that was a highly regarded, all right, he's going to be the number one guy on Tennessee. Well, you know what? Number one guys don't necessarily mean production, and that certainly yeah. wasn't the case for Bishop Sankey this year. Anthony, did you have him or something? Is I, that a little bit? I actually didn't have oh, I'm him. I'm surprised. But a lot of people I knew had him, and they were very upset. Uh, ah. There were plenty of other people that busted for me this year, like <laughs> Adrian Peterson, for example. Yeah, yeah, that, yes, big bust. Yeah, so that that is what that, that's what interests me, but... The Jets getting Mariota, I think that that's something that you can't really hang your hat on. No. And say, this is something that we're really confident that's actually going to happen. But you're definitely going to need a quarterback. And whether it be Mariota or Winston or somebody else. Bryce Petty, are we tossing around that name now, too? I guess Bryce Petty. Or, like you said, Jay Cutler, and I know you laughed about it. But I don't dislike Jay Cutler as much as other people do. Other people around this league, I feel like, hate on him a lot. I personally don't like him, but it's better than Geno Smith. I agree. (laughs) And I do think that... You'd have to sell him somehow just because my thing with Jay Cutler is how was he not able to succeed on a Chicago Bears team that had Alshon Jeffrey, Brandon Marshall, Matt Forte, no offense to Eric Decker and Percy Harvin, but they're not up to that level. So how is he going to deal with that kind of downgrade? I don't think you could say – I don't think that there's any offense to Eric Decker (laughs) or Percy Harvin there. Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall are the biggest dynamic duo since when Roddy White was in his prime and Julio Jones was a rookie Mm -hmm. because Atlanta looked like an offense that couldn't be stopped ever. It just seemed like when their defense had to come on and play, that was what struggled with them. (laughs) You have to look at it like this. Are you going to waste another first-round pick on a quarterback? And maybe not waste. Maybe waste isn't the right word. The Jets say Mariota and Winston are both gone. Maybe you should look at a guy like Jay Cutler or a veteran who at least can give you a couple of years until another quarterback comes out of a draft that you can actually build yourself off of. Or even that, too, maybe there's a name that we're not talking about. I'm not saying the next Tom Brady, so don't jump on me for that one. But maybe right. there's a late-round quarterback, a Russell Wilson type even, that no one's talking about that someone drafts, that the Jets draft in the third rounder. And because of the fact that they have a veteran quarterback to play for two or three years, this guy can sit there, learn a little bit, and then all of a sudden get thrust into the starting role. And maybe he, maybe it's a guy like Bryce Petty who isn't, you know, this NFL-ready, all-of-a-sudden quarterback ready to take over an offense, he gets two years to develop, and he's not thrust right into the middle of the New York spotlight. There is no there is no saying that Mark Sanchez and Geno Smith couldn't have been good quarterbacks or still can't be good quarterbacks in this league. When you're thrust into a situation, we are a bad team, you're going to make us better go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's nobody to give you any guidance. That's obviously not going to help. I mean, you take a look. Aaron Rodgers, for example. Exactly. Behind Prime a guy example. named Brett Favre. Um, Philip Rivers behind a guy named Drew Brees. And and and, th- and that's what needs to happen. So maybe even Geno Smith can still prosper. Yes. I don't know if Jet fans want to hear this, but maybe he's not as bad as you're giving him credit for. If you bring in a guy like Jay Cutler, sure, he may not get you to a 12-4 and record and knock off the New England Patriots in the AFC East next year. But he could teach Geno Smith the ways of this game better than 
getting thrown in and not really learning anything at all. Or even if you draft another guy, teach him the ways. Exactly. Matt Barkley has sat on the bench and watched Nick Foles and Mark Sanchez in Philadelphia. Who's to say in a couple of years Matt Barkley may not be an answer for this team? It all comes down to just being patient. And I think that the, the Jets, mainly because of New York media, need to get better very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And to get better very, very quickly, they can't. They had that idea last year. It was cute. Mike Vick. But Mike Vick wasn't ready to be a starting quarterback again. It just wasn't in the cards for him. So, yeah, he may have taught Geno Smith some things. Maybe here's, how to elude a, maybe here's how to elude a pass rush, or here's how you can use your feet better. But even the way that he showed himself on the field, Geno was like, oh, he's not doing much better than I am. <laughs> they need a quarterback who's more consistent that could say, see, see, this is what I'm doing. This mm-hmm. is what you can do. Here's how we're going to fix this. And that might come from a veteran because you can't keep bringing in these rookies and expecting, yeah, this is a good idea. We'll see how many times we have to do this before it works. Absolutely, too. And I think with gutting the coaching staff, though, too, you know, new offensive coordinator, maybe he can help with that process as well. But it's interesting, just before we move on to our picks for the Super Bowl, you mentioned Rex Ryan there briefly. I think it's funny how he goes from dealing with, you mentioned the developing of Mark Sanchez and Geno Smith or the not developing, I guess that's the proper way of saying that he did not develop them properly, to now having a very iffy quarterback situation in Buffalo because you have E.J. Manuel now as your quarterback and he's not exactly a guy that is ready to take over NFL offense either in my mind. I think that personally, I know obviously I don't make the decisions, but I think that Rex would have benefited better by going to a team like Atlanta that had an established offense compared to a team that needs someone to develop EJ Manuel. I thought that was a perfect fit. So did and I. Atlanta's not even at a loss here because they're still they still have Dan Quinn as one of their as one of their front runners right, if I'm exactly. not mistaken. So they still are going to get a defensive mind for a team that really is really what they need. Mm-hmm. Matt Ryan, Julio Jones and Roddy White do they it can, by themselves. Exactly. They can run that <laughs> offense. They're fine. It, they're okay where they are. It, it was a defensive person that they needed and it wasn't that the the Falcons needed Rex Ryan Rex Ryan needed needed the the Falcons Falcons because Rex Ryan needs an offense Rex Ryan's leaving a place where there was quarterback issues to a place where there's quarterback issues oh well and Rex Ryan thinking oh I had the best secondary when I was with the Jets oh I have the best front in the league when I'm with the Bills and maybe he'll mask this and get the Bills to two division rounds or maybe a conference championship? You know the story, Kelly. I do. I've heard this story before. I feel like it's deja vu all over again. But if you don't have the quarterback, what are you going to do? And that is the question. And I don't. I think that there are a lot of people that are Jets fans that would love to see Rex Ryan crash and burn, not only just in Buffalo, see, I in their division. I would like him to actually... I kind of wish he went somewhere else where I could have rooted stronger for him because I liked Rex a lot, so I kind of wish that... He would have went somewhere where it would have been like, all right, I can kind of root for Atlanta because I don't really play them until we get to the playoffs, <laughs> so it's fine. I don't think I don't want him to crash and burn. Heck, if the Jets are terrible and he's the one that can take down Tom Brady and the Patriots for once in my life, I'd be very happy jumping on board that for Rex. But I do agree with what you mean that like people are gonna. This is gonna haunt him if he can't turn EJ Manuel or find another viable quarterback option. I don't think he's going to get another head coaching job because people are going to say this is now the third or the fourth quarterback if there's another one that comes after EJ that he can't handle. You can almost say it's unfair, but then in a sense he did it to himself. He didn't put himself in a position, and maybe the position never really came across to him, where we are in a good position right now. Here's a quarterback that's developed. We want you to be our coach. Mm-hmm. Maybe there were teams that didn't come to him with stuff right, like that. Exactly. Maybe the Falcons didn't. Maybe they wanted Dan Quinn more. Maybe they didn't want a guy like Rex Ryan who was a little more loud, uh, to say the least. Uh, but the Bills did, and maybe it's because, oh, we like the rivalry he brings. We like the way he handles the Patriots, mm-hmm. and and the Bills are just really a couple games away this year if they could beat the Patriots and just play more consistently from being a, a, a playoff team. Right, exactly. So, oh, he rattles the Patriots. Ooh, the Jets games are going to be a lot of fun. Let's deal with this. Let's do this. We like this idea. So, yeah, does Rex know the ins and outs of the AFC East? Yes. Is that going to help him defensively? Yes. 
He has Sammy Watkins. Great. EJ Manuel wasn't terrible. Kyle Orton took his position and retired this year. Exactly. So what does that say about EJ Manuel? And what does that say about Doug Marone leaving? Again, another thing where he might have known something that we don't. He Kyle Orton retired. Maybe he, Doug Marone knew this and said, you know what? I'm going to go elsewhere. And he took an, a, a oh, coordinator position. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, is it? Yeah, he took, is it he took, even a coordinator position, or was it just an offensive staff position, like a positional <clears throat> coach with the Jacksonville Jaguars? Either way, put it this way, downgrade. Very and it's downgrade. to the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's now, a downgrade. maybe Marone thought he was getting a better offer somewhere. I think he thought he was a lock for the Jets job. I think he was very confident that he was going to get the Jets job, and then that crashed and burned. And I he have was like, no uh, idea what happened that interview. <laughs> I have no idea what happened that interview, but it didn't go well. And it's interesting. There's so many stories. And here's and here's all the stories, Kelly. We're talking about all these stories <laughs> and what circles around no matter what we talk about. Deflategate. And that's the only story apparently that matters. There's so many things that have happened in this offseason already. We're not even in the offseason. Yeah, we're, we're still off, Super Bowl. Offseason for thirty of the thirty two teams. Not our not these teams. And and this is the situation that we're in right now. We're still talking about whether or not the and the Bears uh, equipment manager is actually going to be handling the footballs in the oh, Super Bowl. Good. There we go. Much like, well, we're going to have six backup generators last year for the Super Bowl. Now this year it's, well, we're going to make sure all the footballs are 12.5 inches around. Oh, Very good, NFL. Dear Very goodness. good. Well, to get on to that game, we have Super Bowl Sunday about, I guess, nine days away now as of today. And let's get into our picks for that game. Let's look into the crystal ball for some weekly NFL predictions. <laughs> Ah, the great music. This might be the last time I hear this music, actually, now you think about this, Anthony, here on NFL Friday. Now you're doing it to yourself. I am doing it to myself. Put the idea in my head. I blame you still. <laughs> but let's go in the back first over to Alicia. She's been running the board for us today with Sean Hayner. Alicia, Super Bowl, because we may not be here next week. Who do you have, Seattle or the Patriots? having some technical difficulties in the back. We'll let them get that sorted out, make sure they have it swapped the proper way there. Obviously, it's definitely, we're trying to see, we may not be here. What I mean by that is physically this group of four people. Oh, no, we probably won't be. Exactly. These four group of people will not be here. It's all right. We'll try to figure that out. Alicia, how about your picks for this week? I'm going with the Seahawks, and I'm going to go against Tom Brady and the Patriots. <laughs> Never bet against Tom Brady. That's always a interesting choice. Sean, who do you got? You cannot vote against Richard Sherman. I'm also picking, picking wow. the Seahawks. Wow, Anthony. I'm going to go with the Patriots. I'm giving away my pick for the Ram this week, but it's got to be, for me, the New England Patriots. I'm going to go with you, Anthony. It's kind of interesting here. You have the two guys in the back going with the Seahawks. You and I are going with the Patriots. I hate to do this. As a Jets fan, I do not want to see Belichick and Brady hoist the Lombardi Trophy, but I think they do it again. Deflategate and all, that's probably what's going to happen. And Kelly, you know what? One more question while we're still on this lovely music. Oh, Will you watch a second of the Pro Bowl? Yeah, I'll probably tune in barely. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be like I'm going to be like sitting down watching. I might see. I mean, isn't Andy Dalton starting in that somewhere? Is he playing in the Pro Bowl from what I hear? Andy Dalton made the Pro Bowl roster? Well, well, Odell Beckham Jr. was picked fourth <laughs> overall and wasn't even in the Pro Bowl to start, which, again, just kind of shows how all All-Star games really are a little ridiculous when it comes down to fan voting and when it comes down to name recognition more than anything else. Because Calvin Johnson 
didn't have his greatest year this year, and AJ Green didn't either, and, and they still, there. still made it over other people who probably were a little more deserving. Well, Anthony, before I let you go here on this NFL Friday edition, isn't the uh, NHL All-Star game coming up as well, too? Our boy oh, Rick Nash is there. Thing. Yes, yes, the NHL All-Star game is coming up, and that, that's certainly going to be interesting. Of course, on 5 on 3, we talked a lot about this, but it, apparently— Our sister show. Our sister show, but apparently nobody wants to play in this game because everybody's hurt. Oh, uh, yes. It's so, the perils. The same thing. Peyton Manning couldn't play in this one either. Thigh problems. Now, so. of course, I will be tuning in tonight at 7 o'clock to watch the NHL All-Star Draft because I are. have a problem. And I will admit it on the air here. So that's okay. But, yes, I'm looking forward to the NHL All-Star Game and the skills competition more than the Pro Bowl this weekend. Absolutely. Yes. We have the Pro Bowl coming up this weekend, as Anthony mentioned. In the next weekend, we have the Super Bowl. Before we get to that, you'll have another edition of NFL Friday coming your way one week from today. We'll see who that is. We'll hope you tune in to hear that edition. But for now, enjoy your this, I guess, Pro Bowl weekend. And then farther on down the road, enjoy the Super Bowl. I know you want to watch that one. This has been One-on-One's NFL Friday, only on WFUVsports.org. Join us next week as we take you around the NFL. We'll see you then.